The most important thing for us when we sat down and had a look at it was productivity was up through the roof. And we didn't expect, uh, expect that at all. So we found that productivity was up in the third and fourth week because people had transitioned across. We saw that our billings were up, you know, which is good. Um, so certainly from there, uh, when we had the, the debrief with all the staff, um, their mental health uh, was an issue that was brought up. You know, they found that they had enough time to recover over those three days, as opposed to the two. So um, it's something that we're going to seriously look at adopting uh, and kicking off from the 1st of July. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with a humble, thoughtful, determined and creative leader who has the quote, when you know your why, you're going to attract people that bring the how on his LinkedIn page. He has more than 30 years experience in the financial services with senior roles in investment advisory, funds management, practice management and accounting. His education includes a Bachelor of Economics, Accounting and Commerce at the University of Queensland and postgraduate studies in financial management at the University of Adelaide and Columbia University in the city of New York. In 2008, he co-founded Vault Accounting and Financial Advisors in Brisbane, Australia, a progressive advisory group that offers expertise across the entire financial planning landscape. I'm honored to have the privilege to present to you a man who has managed to juggle many balls at one time while staying grounded and true to the people around him, Brad Gunn. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. So to many people around the world, they look at Australia and think growing up must be all about wrestling crocodiles, surfing, going walk about and having barbecues. What was your childhood like? Well, I haven't wrestled a crocodile. Um, I've, I've certainly surfed and, and uh, I've had plenty of barbecues. But uh, I had a pretty simple childhood. Um, I had a big family. Uh, I've got four sisters and, uh, and mum and dad, and they were very successful, N now passed away. Um, but yeah, it was just easy. It was just cricket, football, had a group of mates. Um, but yeah, nothing, nothing flash. We used to go on holidays once a year as, as a family. I just remember no air conditioning in the cars really hot in the middle of summer but uh, a pretty basic childhood but uh, look back with fond memories so yeah for sure yeah. so were you the ambitious and determined type that you really wanted to achieve something or were you just happy riding that that wave so to speak no before my father passed away he said i was always a leader and uh, and people would follow and i never really knew what he meant and uh, it, it sort of hit me one day uh, when when my best mate uh, and we've been mates now for over 50 years, said to me, you, you, you were always going to do well, no matter what you did. And uh, I sort of fell into uh, accounting and financial services. That wasn't my first choice at uni, and, uh, which I was a bit disappointed, but I certainly got over that quickly. But uh, yeah, I, I was the sort of person just to go, yeah, let's just go and do it. Let's just make it happen. 
and, uh, and let's see what falls off the tree. And made a few mistakes along the way, but that's all character building, so yeah, I sort of enjoyed that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Still making mistakes now, but not as many. <laughs> <laughs> so you worked your way up through the financial industry. You know, what was the catalyst behind Vault Accountants, and, and what is its key focus? Um, when we go back now, it was over 10 years ago, I was working for another accounting practice uh, as the practice manager in Brisbane and I just saw a lot of our clients would come in and see us and they would sit with me for a couple of hours and, and then they would complain they had to go somewhere else or in somewhere else and th they were running around town and they weren't actually getting anywhere, I mean they were just bearing time and I spoke to one guy uh, who's still a client now and has been for a long time, if I could just bring everything underneath the one roof that would certainly be a benefit. And he just turned around and said to me, mate, how much do you need to start that business? He said, I'm just sick of just running around, not getting anywhere. So from that, um, we sat down and, and literally whiteboarded it and what it would look like and, and, and how we would actually do it. Initially, um, it was just me and I was out servicing it, uh, outsourcing it, I'm sorry, and, and managing the project, but I was keeping control of everything. Um, clients weren't duplicating their information, uh, I was providing that to them. Over the years now, uh, we've got a full service team here, so all the services that we provide are under the one roof. So typically a client would come in um, to see us uh, about their corporate tax, and they would also do a review of their superannuation, their personal insurance, uh, look at their estate planning or their wills, they might do a review of any debt, but they only park the car once and they just literally move around the office. And I think from that point of view, uh, they see the benefit of that. It keeps their costs down. Uh, it certainly is good for us. We do 100% of their work. Um, we don't tend to lose any clients. Uh, clients do move on. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, usually death is the main reason, uh, but from that we tend to keep our clients a lot longer as well and that's been significant over the years by growing the business organically. Well it sounds like you, you've made a customer, it's designed for the customer and ensuring they have the best experience so that's going to hold retention. Yeah exactly, I mean um, it's all cu customer centric. Um, the clients know who they're coming in to see, um, whether it's me or someone else, uh, it certainly is good and then they tend to bounce around a little bit, but they get to see everybody, all the appointments are staggered, um, and they did, or they're just back to back, and you know, from there, I mean, that's a better experience for them. Uh, but it also gives us the ability to turn them around and do a lot more work for them, um, but it is focused towards the client. Uh, and one of the benefits of that is that uh, they, they know me and they know all the other staff uh, who's working with them. So it's not as if they're coming in to someone foreign. I mean, they know everybody here. Uh, and we, we pay a lot of attention to our staff. Uh, and, and training and education and ongoing upskilling is a real big driver for us. Uh, we like to move people up uh, as opposed to sideways. Uh, and that way we get a lot of staff retention. We very rarely have anyone leave, and we haven't for a long time. So, I mean, all we do is put more staff on and they just tend to stay. But they get skilled in a lot of areas, so. 
So talking about moving people up and kind of a structure, yep. how is Vault Accountants structured and what is the key ingredient in making decisions? Uh, well, it's myself and John, uh, who's my business partner. Um, we own the business 50-50 and uh, that's a good working relationship. He looks after one area of the business, which is the accounting practice. I look after the rest of the business. Um, but we're all, we all have the same qualifications. We're both the same age. Uh, we move uh, employees ac across businesses. Uh, for example, we have a junior accountant and we've tried to upskill her into a specific area that she wants to specialise in, which is self-managed superannuation. Uh, so we've spent some time working with her uh, and we've also taken her over and put her into an advice area where she learns how to do advisory work which will interlink into self-managed super. So from that point of view, she gets to taste and feel everything in respect to that client, uh, where she can sit down in the future with the client with confidence and say, I can do your financial return, I can do your tax return, I can also give you advice around superannuation and insurance and your direct investments which sit, which sit inside your self-managed fund. If you've got one employee that can do all that, that's gotta be a bonus to the client in every way, shape and form, and the clients love it. So, I mean, we're experimenting with that now and it's working really well. Um, whether we do that with more staff, uh, yet to be seen, but we try to move them around uh, and give them and upskill them in different areas. Uh, you can't take a junior accountant and throw them at a, a corporate tax return uh, without giving them some training or some upskilling. Uh, daunting at first, but the only way they're going to learn is with they've got to get their hands hands dirty on the tools. It's really important, you know. People are our greatest assets. Absolutely, you've got to look after and protect them, educate them. It's not yep. as though you hire them and they've got to know everything. Well, they don't know everything. They think they do. A university degree doesn't automatically give you the right to know everything. It really is only a start. I mean, especially some of the young ones coming through now where they don't have a lot of contact time at university, they rely on employment afterwards uh, to upskill them, which is okay and it's very competitive. Uh, but you, you, need, you need to get them on the tools and you need to get them working with clients and they need to be able to interact with the clients, uh, which is just as important as doing the numbers and putting the data together and, and providing an income tax return and a financial statement for them at the end of the year. So it's all about working with our employees to make sure the clients have a better, or the, the staff have a better experience and then that'll flow through to the, uh, through to the clients. So we talked about a client-centric model. Client engagement and communication is key to success for retention in any business. Yep. So what are your thoughts on the role of technology integration with accountants and bookkeepers in the client relationship? Oh, we, we are big on, uh, on technology. Um, we use an, a number of uh, different applications uh, that sit outside um, our accounting online accounting software. Uh, and the reason why we do that is to give a better experience for the clients. The accounting software will do so much. Then you've got to add on, and I think we've got maybe four to five add-on applications uh, that provide different services. And, and it may just be forecasting or budgeting uh, or cash flowing for some clients, but they need to see it on a dashboard. But it needs to be generated and synced through our accounting software. So technology is a big driver here. I sort of don't get it. Uh, but the, the younger ones, as you can imagine, they just jump straight onto it and know how to adapt it you know, into our business, which is great. So 
So is it a custom built dashboard or are you using ready to buy? Oh, ready to buy, yeah, it's a, just off the shelf, um, but it's all white labeled. Uh, it looks like it comes from us, but it doesn't. Uh, they're accounting and financial services uh, specific. So certainly from that point of view, there would be a lot of accountants out there in large practices like ours that would be using these. Uh, and they certainly are. The benefit is to the client. Um, but if you're not using that, then I don't know how you're actually going to provide a reasonable service to the client and charge them reasonable fees. You're not going to give your fees and services away, that's for sure. No, no. Otherwise, you'll fail as a business. Yeah, yeah. Shut the door and go. <laughs> <laughs> so you and your business partner have created a, a highly successful company. However, we all know that businesses aren't always plain sailing. Can you share with us the challenging situation of your premature retirement and how you handled that situation with your staff? We, we had a look at it. Um, I would have been happy to retire about 10 years ago, but that was never going to happen. <laughs> um, it's interesting. We, we now have a 10-year plan. John and I are both the same age. Uh, and we'd like, to, we'd like to exit the business completely within 10 years. Um, prematurely, uh, that's probably the best way to explain it. Uh, I wanted to dial back a little bit. Um, John was happy uh, to go along with the flow. Un un unfortunately, uh, if both of us dialed back a little bit, there would be no one here to run the business. So we had to make a conscious decision how we actually go about doing that. And we looked at ways uh, how it would impact the business overall and how that would affect our 10-year plan. And one of the things that we looked at um, was integrating uh, a four-day work week in, in, into our practice. And we'd seen practices in the States doing it successfully, big practices with 50 and 60 staff. Uh, we saw a practice in New Zealand doing it. Uh, we spoke to them, had a chat with them, and we thought, right, we'll have a crack at this to see if we can get everybody engaged in the four-day week that would give us the opportunity to pull back a little bit as well. Um, how it was going to work um, was interesting. We, we literally learnt on the job. Uh, we put a roster together and we asked everybody which day would suit them, either a Monday or a Friday. Uh, obviously everybody said Friday, so that was never going to work. Um, but we, we eventually found common ground and we trialled it for a month. It was really successful. Uh, the first week was the most difficult because people were going through a transition. They were adjusting, uh, including John and myself. Um, the second week, everybody was getting used to it. The third week, they were loving it. And the fourth week, can we keep this going? You know, they got into a routine and things changed. They were working longer days. They were putting a 40-hour week into four days, in essence. But the most important thing for us when we sat down and had a look at it was productivity was up through the roof. And we didn't expect, uh, expect that at all. So we found that productivity was up in the third and fourth week because people had transitioned across. We saw that our billings were up, you know, which is good. Um, so certainly from there, uh, when we had the, the debrief with all the staff, um, their mental health uh, was an issue that was brought up. You know, they found that they had enough time to recover over those three days as opposed to the two. So um, it's something that we're going to seriously look at adopting uh, and kicking off from the 1st of July. How we do that, um, 
it might be a little bit different to our trial. But uh, that's one way that we can see ourselves actually uh, moving ourselves away uh, and getting towards our retirement goal individually as the two partners of the business. So, so when you were doing that one month in February, yep. what were you measuring? Like, so obviously you wanted to use it as a trial. What, what key things were you measuring? You talked about productivity there um, and billings. Were there other aspects yep. that you were Yeah, we were. Monitoring? I mean, we, we basically 50% of the staff report to each of us. So we have, uh, and that's just by design, um, we were talking to our staff on a daily basis about you know, how, how they were adopting or what changes they were noticing. It Obviously, you know, a couple of them said it's been good because I've been making, meeting the, missing the peak hour traffic both ways. Uh, so from that point of view, it was good. There was still a lot of daylight at the end of the day when they were getting home, um, you know, maybe 6 or 6.30 as opposed to 5 or 5.30. Uh, and they were able to do things, which was good but they were leaving a bit earlier and they weren't hitting that peak hour. And um, some were coming in in 20 minutes, which would normally take them an hour. So they weren't as stressed. Uh, they were taking longer break, they were taking more breaks, but they were taking them a little bit longer during the day, um, as opposed to a 15 minute morning tea break, they were taking half an hour. Uh, they were taking a little over an hour for lunch and then another break in the afternoon. Um, one of the guys actually commented that he was drinking more water um, than what he would normally drink. Uh, so that was a good gauge for us. It might, might not sound a lot, uh, but certainly people were changing their habits. People were bringing food in. Uh, they weren't going out to buy it. Uh, they were getting food delivered. So there were significant changes and we tracked all those changes the whole way through. Uh, we encouraged people to get out at lunchtime and get some sun. Um, some guys were going to the gym, uh, coming back, um, showering, they were getting all that done and then slipping into it again so they were re-energised. So it was good from that point of view. One of the girls took the attitude uh, that she set herself a goal to lose some weight. She lost that and a bit more uh, through the process so she was very diligent. One guy didn't have a drink for a whole month so that was we were tracking little things like that and they were setting their own internal goals and that was really important for us to look at them to see what they were doing. Um, there were very little, uh, very little sick days during the, that trial period, uh, which was good. Uh, actually, I don't think there were any sick days. Um, so that was, normally there are a couple through the month. But uh, yeah, I think our productivity overall was certainly in excess of, I think it was 93% where most months it's around 86 or 87 so there was a significant increase in productivity. So you're talking about them coming in for longer hours. Were, yep. How did that affect those that had children? Um, there's only a couple that have young children. Uh, th they were actually managing it quite well and they were working it with their partner, uh, which was good. So one of the girls was coming in at 10 o'clock. Um, so she was doing all the bits and pieces in the morning, uh, getting kids to school. And um, the husband, he started early in the morning so he was getting them in the afternoon, so that was fine, and she was working through until eight o'clock. Um, so yeah, they just adjusted, and we were just happy to work around the hours that they wanted to work. Uh, one of the girls was coming in uh, at five o'clock in the morning, and she was gone by about three or four. Uh, that suited her, she had to get up, her husband gets up and starts work early. So uh, as opposed to her, as you said, I don't normally go back to sleep, so I might as well get dressed and go to work. Yeah. <laughs> so they adopted uh, 
personally they adopted their own timetable. But that didn't affect anything, it just made productivity increase, you know, which was good. So, Was there any noticeable effect on your clients? The clients had, they were not impacted in any way, shape or form. Some of the guys did um, some appointments uh, out of hours, so that was actually a benefit to the clients mm. uh, they, who could not get here in normal work hours, uh, either, either before or after work. They were coming in uh, doing meetings at you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock, which was fine. They were just getting those meetings done and uh, it was part of our day and we just incorporated that and we, uh, we used Calendly uh, to book all our appointments so we just extended that out and uh, it worked quite well. So it worked really well actually. And was there a roll down effect kind of into the meeting time? So you know, say a meeting might normally go 45 minutes to an hour, were they, were they shortening those times? Um, we, we've got a policy. Um, uh, especially face-to-face -face meetings, um, a minimum 30 minutes, maximum two hours. Uh, we changed that during uh, the trial period and brought that two hours back to 90 minutes. So we're trying to get more work into one day as opposed to, if I can't get it done today, then I don't want to come back into my day off. So uh, we were, And we were getting through the meetings uh, probably quicker than what we normally would. We've now left it at that 90 minutes. Um, and that seems to be working quite well. So if you can't get everything done in two hours, then there's something wrong. So you need to be, you're just wasting a half an hour of the client's time and also our time as well too. You talked about earlier, some of the staff would go off at lunchtime and go to the gym. Yep. And I know you do, you're like, you know, it's important to you to ensure that they lead an active and healthy lifestyle. Absolutely. How does that work here? What sort of incentives do you provide? Um, we have sports leave and uh, we introduced that uh, back in 2010 and we noticed we had a, a couple of guys uh, when they were joining us, they were doing triathlons uh, or they were running marathons or th they, were playing, um, in, they were playing sport on the weekends. So we introduced sports leave and basically how that works is you get five days sports leave a year. Um, if you register for an Olympic sport, and let's say triathlon, um, and let's say Noosa for example, there's a lot of guys here that have done Noosa, um, then we give them the time off. They can take time off, uh, not so much to train, but to go up and do the event. Um, so they'll take the Thursday, the Friday, and the Monday off, so there's their three days of their five. They pay their own registration fees, accommodation, uh, travel, and, and everything else. It just doesn't interfere with their annual leave. Mm. And the people that do it uh, are the ones that are healthy and the ones that don't have time off through sickness. Mm. And, and so do- Works a treat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and what happens if people don't like sport? You know, so well, is there a wellness aspect? We, well, we, well, we try to encourage them to do something. Um, there's one guy uh, that doesn't uh, want to compete. He's just happy. We pay for his gym membership and we have an arrangement with a gym down the road, happen to be clients of ours. So we pay his, uh, his monthly membership. He goes, part of that is he has to go a minimum of 20 times a month and they provide us the printouts. We know he goes more than that. So I think he averages 24 times a month and he's pretty healthy, he's pretty fit, uh, but that's what he wants to do and uh, we're happy to encourage that, so. And is there any real key success stories that have come out of this that you know you feel really proud about? Well apart from my own but <laughs> uh, Ali one of our accountants um, her and her husband 
uh, very active and um, they lead pretty busy lifestyles, they made a decision uh, to run a marathon uh, a couple of years ago. They're active doing fun runs and um, Brisbane, the Bridge to Brisbane and a few other 10k runs and they were doing team runs in triathlons and bits and pieces. So they stepped it up and they came to us and said, can you help us? Um, one, we want to do the New York Marathon. Of all the marathons that you want to start with, you might as well start with New York. <laughs> and we said, pretty hard to get into, um, but let's have a crack at that. Um, we put them in contact with a coach, a marathon coach that I know. Uh, they went and trained with him and I was able to get them into the marathon and they had a 16 week program. Uh, they absolutely killed it, uh, which was really good. They took their time off on their sports leave to go and travel. They took a, an extra week of annual leave whilst they were over there and uh, they finished the New York Marathon, both of them together, crossed the line at the same time. Brilliant. Oh, absolutely brilliant, yeah. So um, she's the only one in here that's on the New York Marathon, but. Uh, credit to her and it's great that she's actually, I don't think she'll do another one <laughs> from the feedback that we got, but at the end of the day, um, they set themselves a goal and we were happy to do as much as we could to, to make that happen, so. Yeah, brilliant. So let's shift gears now a little bit to your love and passion for endurance sports. What, on, what was the inspiration behind starting the Croc Triathlon Club? Club, troc, uh, Club Croc was started uh, back in 2008 seven or eight, I think, I can't remember now. Uh, myself, uh, my good friend Brad Bevan, and Rod Sodaro. And Some pretty big names there. Pretty big names there, yeah, absolutely. And um, at the time I was in a club and it was just about ready to unfold. I was training with Brad, um, he was coaching me in Olympic distance and Rod was coaching me uh, in long distance and marathons. And I came up with an idea of just starting a club. And there was a couple of guys that I knew that were keen on long distance, and but a lot more guys were looking at the shorter distance. And through that, uh, Club Croc just came out of the ground. And that was a while ago. I was the first president uh, for about three or four years, and then it's continued on. Yeah, but certainly that was the reason behind it. And it, Brad Bevan is still the coach. Uh, Rod's moved on and moved down to, uh, to Melbourne now. Uh, but yeah, it was a good club in those days and there were guys that were going out there, stepping up from the short course to the long course and, and going out and doing Ironman or half Ironman and uh, it was pretty good to see and it was a, it was a good club, or oh, it still is a good club, I'm still a member. Uh, so certainly at the end of the day, it's good to see it continue on you know, all these years and have a strong base and there's still the, a lot of original members still there apart from myself. So. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So folklore says that Brad the Croc Bevan grew up swimming in crocodile infested waters. Can you confirm or deny this? I can actually, I can confirm that. Um, I've been up to where he used, to, where he lived on the farm and uh, met, met his dad and had the opportunity to go down and see where he used to swim in this, in this little creek. And um, yeah, there were crocodiles in it. I can guarantee you there were crocodiles in that creek. You couldn't see them, but you could see where they'd been. And he used to swim in it every day and didn't, and never worried about it. Yeah. So I was scared just being there, let alone, <laughs> let alone get in the water. <laughs> so for those 
listening who don't know, Brad Bevan was number one in the world for triathlon. He was part of a very special era of yep. triathlon in Australia where had the likes of Chris McCormick's, the Craig Alexander's, you had uh, Greg Welch's. Yeah. Miles Stewart. Miles Stewart. Miles Stewart. Yes, Miles Stewart. Stewart. Yep. A lot of amazing yeah. triathletes yeah, absolutely. that were all yeah. right at the pinnacle of triathlon and racing around the world together and they were yeah. all from Australia and it was it was yep. lots of drama, lots yep. of characters, lots of fun at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Brad's got the driest sense of humour of probably all of them. Uh, Miles has probably got the biggest personality, the whole lot of them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in those days, and you were around then, I mean, it was just a, it was just good, you know, just to watch these guys race. And they raced with passion uh, and a bit different these days because it's become such a mainstream sport. But uh, yeah, it was good fun, and I don't know how they actually got through some of those races. One with the gear they have, or had, the bikes they had, um, but they didn't care. They didn't know any different. They yeah. just got out there and just gave it a good old, good old-fashioned flogging. And uh, and Brad Bevan, and still to this day, very humble about it all, and just such a nice guy. He's one bloke you should interview. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> we'll get him on at some point. Yeah, of course. You might struggle to get a few words out of him. <laughs> no, there's always questions that will spark something inside yeah. of people. Yeah. So you went on to be a board member for Triathlon Queensland for, I think, around 11 years, including yep. eight as president. Yep. When you took over the president role, the organisation was facing some, some pretty major challenges. Now, how did you approach managing that change? I first came onto the board, Craig, um, as a finance director. And at that stage... Um, Triathlon Queensland was almost insolvent, technically insolvent, and that wasn't good. We, the president at the time, Wayne Wilson, uh, made a decision, um, and it probably is what shaped Triathlon Queensland to where it is today, um, to really pull back and drive it in, uh, drive the growth through the clubs. And we saw significant change almost straight away. Once people got out there, the board needed a bit of a shake-up, and that happened. And within a couple of years, uh, there was a significant change. We employed um, our first CEO. That made a significant uh, difference, where we had a full-time person actually running the organisation. Uh, we were fortunate to be able to get some significant state government funding. Um, but our numbers, our membership in those days was around about 800, um, which wasn't enough to run the business. And we needed more members and we needed them quickly. And within a couple of years, uh, the CEO at the time, she did a fantastic job to, to raise the profile and bring the membership base up, club membership and then the individual membership up um, to where it is today. I don't know the exact numbers, but I'd say it's probably around six or 7,000 yeah. uh, and have very strong cash flow. I can't confirm that because mm -hmm. I've been off the board for 18 months now, but that's about what it was yeah. when I left October 2017. So it was in a strong position, which was good with about six and a half, seven thousand members. And so people don't really realise that it was only really a decade ago where it was still very volunteer run. And you know, obviously we still need a lot of volunteers in, in any sport. 
the role of sport organisations, you know, evolving to being more professionally managed mm. now, and, and look, you know, Triathlon Queensland has six or seven staff now. Yep. You're a, you were a big advocate for changing the structure and the way triathlon was run in Australia. Why do you think the sport needed to change? Well, it was either going to it was either going to go really, really well, or it was going to die. And um, it, the sport had been around for twenty odd years. Um, it was always run, as you said, uh, on a volunteer basis. Um, we had states and territories not talking to each other. No one knew uh, in Queensland who was on the board in New South Wales or Victoria for that matter. Uh, no one cared in Queensland, to be honest with you. Um, and then when we got a new president um, way back in 2010 or 11, uh, he brought all the state boards together for the first time, I think. And that was the turning point to sit down and say, well, we, we are not seven or eight states and territories. We are one uh, unified body and we need to act that way and we need to think that way and we need to help each other. Um, everybody seems to forget that our membership is with Triathlon Australia, not with Triathlon Queensland. I mean, that's who we paid. And we needed to understand the role of Triathlon Australia and the role of the individual states and territories and how they were running it and they needed to be run the same way. 2013 was the, the big turning point um, with triathlon at a meeting in uh, Bustleton, Western Australia, where we all made a decision to, to affect that into writing and make that happen. And uh, I know it's still going on now, but it was always gonna be a long drawn out process, but it's a much better membership base, much, it's probably run now uh, it looks and smells like a, a, a as a public company as opposed to a not-for-profit organization but it's professionally run from the top right down so from the president of triathlon australia right down to someone sitting in the office in triathlon queensland it's a professional organization and that's what it should have been ages ago and the membership's much stronger as well too and the participation is just huge which we never had before. So, and there's races every weekend. If you want to get out there and pull on a race, well, there's no shortage of them, as opposed to what it was like 10, 12 years ago. You'd scratch and do five races a year, and that was about it. Yeah. Well, you can do one a weekend <laughs> anywhere. And you know, that decision back in 2013, or even prior to that 2010, yep. has put triathlon in a great position, say, with Sport Australia, who hold triathlon at very high esteem in with regards to their interrelationships and how they work. Yep. And obviously they're very supportive of us, of triathlon moving into even more collaboration and more uh, closer ways of working and better structures and, and improving efficiencies. So I think, you know, thanks for your your part in that because I think, you know, we're, we're heading in the right direction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, triathlon can only get stronger and, and, and especially with the integration um, of other bodies, uh, they'll bring more sponsorship on, they'll get more high profile races. Uh, we're certainly doing a lot better uh, at, a, at an Olympic level. Um, winning, we should win probably more gold medals than what we do, but we're up there, but it was always gonna take time. I mean, the high performance pathway was never gonna happen overnight. And I mean, that was something that was brought in and you know as well as I do, we will get to uh, Japan next year with a really strong boys and girls team and, and mixed relay team. And I would not be surprised if we do get a couple of gold medals. Well, we have to. We need some more funding, I think. 
It'd be fantastic. fantastic. It'd be great, yeah. So how do you manage owning a business you know, during that time being president of the not-for-profit as well, you're managing a diverse investment portfolio of your own, competing in Ironman events, and also supporting a wonderful family. You know, yeah. how did you how did you keep everything together? Pretty supportive wife. Um, uh, both my kids have done triathlon uh, at different stages. They've sat on the sideline uh, whilst I've been running around. Um, they probably. Uh, enjoyed it at the time, but if you ask them now, they obviously didn't like it. But uh, Sally, my wife, has been very, very supportive uh, during this whole process. Uh, she saw the need for me to get this work-life balance sorted out. Um, the Triathlon Queensland and Triathlon Australia experience was just thrown into the mix uh, just to make it interesting, uh, but certainly probably wouldn't change too much. But uh, I enjoyed, and I've made some lifelong friends out of triathlon and uh, that's probably the biggest thing that I've got out of it. I've got to travel the world. Um, I've competed at world championships in six different countries, so I would never have got that opportunity if I was doing anything else. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and to meet people along the way, not just at home in Brisbane uh, or in Australia, but to meet people all over the world that now are just friends. You know, we Zoom each other or we do a Skype or we're on email or we're on Facebook or whatever. And uh, I'm not competing uh, at the moment, but uh, certainly that doesn't say that I won't. There's always room for one more. I think my wife would probably put a knife through my heart if I ever suggested we go and do another Ironman. I don't think she would be there, but uh, I would get the support from my office, so I mean, to let me go and do it, albeit I'd be a cranky bear for about three months, but that's okay. So talking about a bit of balance, you have a fine palate for, fine, uh, for great wine. Don't we all? <laughs> so where did your love of quality Shiraz come from and what would you recommend at the moment? Um, it probably goes back, I was involved in the, well my parents obviously uh, in the hotel industry, uh, it sort of stemmed from there. Um, I, d I do like uh, a good meaty red wine. Um, what I'm drinking, uh, my, my old favourite, my old barbecue favourite uh, with the family uh, is Wirra Wirra Church Block. That's a good stable. If that ever comes on special at Dan Murphy's, I load up. Um, what did I have the other night? Um, oh, it'll come to me, but my wife went out, saw it on the menu, she liked it, had a glass, and we had to go and buy a couple of bottles, but uh, a nice, big, meaty South Australian um, uh, Shirah. Oh, it escapes me now, but uh, I don't have a lot during the week. We'll have a few on the weekend when we pull out the barbecue, but uh, it's, uh, it's nice red wine weather at the moment. But uh, yeah, I enjoy a good red. <laughs> so we all know smart people have great answers. Yep. But the best people ask great questions. Questions, yeah, absolutely. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? When was the last time I did something for the first time? Oh, mate, you've got me. <laughs> I didn't expect this one. I've noticed lately um, that I'm getting in contact with uh, people that I haven't seen for a long time, and mainly guys that I went to school with, and uh, they seem to be popping up on social media. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know, but I've reached out to probably a handful of guys uh, that I've known since you know we started school together in grade five or grade six, and that I haven't spoken to for the best part of 20 years. And uh, it's been interesting catching up with these guys. And it's only over a coffee or a beer or something. But uh, our, our lives have obviously gone in different directions. 
but I found that uh, to be really good. I mean, really good for me mentally. Um, you know, given I'm not getting any younger, and either are most of my mates. But yeah, I mean, that's been that's been really good. I probably wouldn't have done it if I didn't see them on social media, because I wouldn't have known where to find them. Technology so, has made a big difference. In yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. And I know most of those guys that you know, my age are on social media don't do a lot, but I don't spend a lot of time on it. But I've been actively out there trying to find a few friends, and it's through friends of friends of friends they pop up. So, you know, they have we have mutual contacts for whatever reason. So, so what was the one question that you'd love to solve? Um, I think at the end of the day, and this probably sounds a little bit silly, but um, the Australian taxation system is broken and um, many governments have tried to fix it. Um, if you ask 15, maybe 20 people in here, I'm sure if we sat down for a week, we could probably get the bones of it together and go to government and say, this is how you fix it. Um, at the moment, and I think for the past 30 years, it's just been a band-aid effect. Um, until someone externally comes in, they're never going to fix it. Oh, they've tried, uh, and they've thrown a couple of hundred thousand dollars at it, and a few guys have gone in there, made recommendations. A raw commission won't fix the Australian taxation system. Uh, it needs private enterprise, someone to be engaged in private enterprise to get in there and give it a big shake-up. It can be fixed, it's, but I just can't see it happening. Not in my lifetime anyway. I mean, we pay a lot of tax in Australia, and as opposed to other um, developed countries, and there's a reason for that, and it and it needs it needs to be fixed, and it's it's archaic, and it changes basically on a, on a weekly basis, and we can't keep up with it. Software can't even keep up with it. So, how is the general public going to ever understand it if we can't? It's a big pain point for many people. Oh, well, yeah, about 16 million Australians who pay tax. <laughs> so how do you know when you're in a peak state of mind? Me? Um, well, I'm at work today. Uh, I'm active. I've trained this morning. Uh, I still train four days a week, uh, quite, quite hard. I, I go hard for about an hour, an hour and a half. So I hit here most mornings uh, around 8 o'clock, fully dressed, ready to roll and I'm ready to throw punches if I have to. So that's my peak period. The days that I don't train, I'm a bit lethargic uh, and I'm a different person. So I can't train seven days a week anymore, um, but four days is enough. So that's my peak period yeah. when I'm going flat out. I do, I do, my wife just looks at me some nights at half past eight and you should be in bed. And off I go. <laughs> I think last night was one of them. <laughs> Don't need to be told twice. Don't need to be told twice, mate. Exactly. Offered some great advice today and doing some really creative and innovative projects. So how can people learn more about what you do and what would be the best people, uh, best way for people to connect with you, you know, even if they want their tax returns done? <laughs> I don't do individual tax returns myself, but um, certainly uh, you can reach out um, my email on our website. Um, we're in the process of upgrading our website at the moment, but it, it is live. Um, certainly through there, uh, they can come in and learn more about the business. Um, happy to sit down with anyone uh, and have a chat if they need help. Um, I'm sure there's someone here, if it's not me, that can help them. And there's always people out there that need a solution 
you know, they need a problem solve, and we can obviously provide most of those solutions. So it doesn't matter, you know, if anyone's in business these days and they don't have sleepless nights and problem with cash flow, then they're lying to you. Yeah, including us. You know, we occasionally have cash flow problems for whatever reason, mm. and I'm sure, and I know for a fact that a lot of businesses do. And, and there's ways of fixing it. You just need to talk to someone that can. It's all about talking. Yep. So Brad, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I've thoroughly enjoyed learning about your experience, about your, your introduction into the financial world establishing businesses that actually make sense from a customer point of view, very customer-centric approach. I've loved that you've challenged the way that you've, you, you and your team have worked and have looked at that four-day work weekend. I'm really excited to see how that progresses from July 1st. Mm. You've done some Me amazing... <laughs> a little bit of apprehension there. I've also really liked the way that you've looked after the community and you're thinking about people's health and wellness you, know, you talk about developing the triathlon club to bring people together so that yeah. they are involved in something and have, you know, I suppose, a little bit of accountability, so to speak, from having their friends and mates around doing stuff that they love, to then going on to support a, a state organization, a state sporting organization, ensure that they had longevity and looking at that real future approach. What, how can we establish this organization so that it can be here in the future? And you know, to, to bring that all together and still have a love of wine and, and look after your family and bring everything together and balance it really, really well, um, I thank you very much for your time today. Oh, you're absolutely welcome, mate. And uh, I'm glad you reached out to me the other day and, and uh, we, we had a, a couple of quiet beers and a chat and, and here we are and more than happy uh, to sit down with you and uh, appreciate all the kind words, I really do. Thank As you said, I'm a very humble man. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Today's Active CEO wellness tip is energy meeting. Why don't we challenge the way we have always provided sugary muffins, coffee, lollies, soft drinks as our meeting snacks? How do we expect to perform optimally and get the most out of our people when we are not focusing on strategies to ensure they have sustainable energy levels. If we want optimal performance, optimal learning, and optimal outcomes, then we need to implement effective energy strategies. And that starts with the food and drinks we put on the table. Let's look at what we can actually do to sustain the energy, whether it be fresh fruit, whether that be more water rather than sugary drinks, whether that be healthy snacks such as carrot sticks or, or breads that have lots of grains, rather than putting pastries there. Have a think about it next time you design your meeting and make sure that the energy is sustainable and not one that raises through the roof and then falls through the bottom of the floor. Make sure your meeting is energized in the right way. Thank you for tuning in to Brag Gun Four Day Work Week on episode 43 of the Active CEO podcast. Our passionate energy to perform is to help people 
live a healthier and more active lifestyle. That's why we spend time with people guiding them to be high-performing CEOs and leaders because they are the key influencers over society. To be in a high-performing mode and peak state of mind, you need to be fresh, full of energy, and prepared to deliver your best self every day. Proactively planning your recovery and scheduling energy will be a game changer for you. That's why we developed CEO Paradization and for coaches, Coach Paradization. To find out more, please contact us at energytoperform.com or craig at nrg2perform.com to book a complimentary call to find out how the Breaking the CEO Code or Breaking the Coach Code can help you deliver a higher performance. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.